Hello and welcome. This is the Hoops Dramas podcast. Adam Shalfu joined by Gabriel Wilkins. Gabriel, happy to have you on uh, on Father's Day. It is June 20th. How are you this morning? Doing marvelous, man. Doing excellent, man. You know, it's always a blessing to, you know, be able to be around, man, to talk hoops. And especially after a night like last night where you had an epic game seven go down between the Bucks and the Nets. And, you know, we're talking about a, a NBA with a conference finals consisting of four teams that, you know, by the end of the night, we officially know who those final four are that will all, in my opinion, have an equal shot at buying yeah. for that championship, which we haven't been able to say in a long, long time. Like, it is truly, truly a wide open race for the gold ball right now. That's a really good point. And it's made for an extremely exciting playoffs. Uh, you know, it's a shame a lot of these injuries to some of the best players, whether that be Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James or even these guys who are kind of playing through it. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was definitely bothered. You know, Mike Conley wasn't 100%. Uh, James Harden had to gut it out. You could tell he wasn't truly James Harden, though. But let's start right with last night. And uh, plenty to get to today. But last night, man, so Kevin Durant wears a size 18 shoe. I looked it up this morning. And if he just wears a size 16, the Nets are going to the conference finals. But that was really an incredible game. Kind of a crappy overtime, in my opinion. Uh, it seemed like both teams had a hard time putting the ball in the hoop. But you got to give credit to KD. He really showed the world, or reminded the world, rather, just how special he is. Without a doubt. And, you know, you expect to see an overtime that, you know, isn't the best offensively this time of year. Guys are hurt, like we said, how injuries have impacted the playoffs. And not only are guys hurt, but guys are tired, you know. Kevin Durant played the whole game just about last night. Right. James Harden played 53 minutes, 139 out of 149 minutes in the, the final three games of the Eastern Conference semifinals. So when I, when I pay attention – to all of that, and you add that all in, you it, it I, I expect to see an overtime that doesn't necessarily live up to the bill, but both teams were grinding it out. You know, I give shout out and credit to the Milwaukee Bucks for what they did. PJ Tucker, you know, in spite of Kevin Durant's performance, he played incredible defense and made it really tough for him. But yeah, you know, you give credit to those guys, man, like Giannis. Uh, Chris Middleton hitting big time shots late. Right. The one that put him up, Drew Holiday, continuing to keep his faith in his jump shot despite going like two for 17 through the first three quarters. I mean, I feel like when he hit that three late last night, that changed the momentum of that ball game. Mm-hmm. And it really gave Milwaukee a lot of confidence in closing time um, to eventually pull that out and keep the pressure on Brooklyn, to which they did to an incredible degree agree last night you know Brooklyn had a great first half guys like Blake Griffin played very very well but for them to only be up six at the half to a Bucks team like that I know especially when you're at the house and you, you know you're supposed to take care of business so but all in all it was a fun series to watch and um Brooklyn's going to have some adjustments that they got this off exercise some of those demons of playoff pass. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, you know, obviously that's different series with a healthy Kyrie Irving. Uh, but, you know, no point in beating a dead horse. Uh, that one's over. And they do have a lot of decisions to make this offseason. Uh, obviously, they're going to run it back with that big three. And I think Blake Griffin definitely earned himself a new home there, too. And I just got to say, the way he's evolved has really impressed me. He seems like the smartest guy on the floor. A lot of times he's out there and the way he was able to play Giannis or play defense on Giannis was really pretty remarkable. And it seemed like it created a really nice blueprint perhaps of whoever comes out of the Sixers uh, Hawk series. You know, he gave him some feet, challenged him to take that jump shot. And as a result, I think Giannis, confidence in his jumper really went down and he has well-documented struggles at the free throw line, but it seemed like he was maybe even in his own head sometimes. Um, Cause he's a better free throw shooter than he showed, but uh, you know, Blake did a really good job on him, giving him that space and then uh, really good help defense. Giannis still got his, but the Nets showed that they're a fine defensive team. They just had to step it up a little bit in the playoffs. Had to step it up. And then, you know, at the end of the day, I think rebounding and the lack thereof is probably one of the biggest reasons why they're sitting at home right now. Not having that big. Yeah. You know, it's obvious that they got to go after a backup point guard in addition to, you know, seeking to, shore up the depth on their roster behind that big three who is really in an interesting situation right now after failing to capture that Larry O'Brien because you got three all-stars over there who by the end of next season could all opt out of their contracts and hit the free agency market. So it's going to be a lot of pressure on Sean Marks and Steve Nash and his staff out there in Brooklyn, you know, to get that ship right so that when they get back, you know, to the grind, come to start a training camp this fall, they go in with a renewed mindset focused on their one goal, which is to win a championship. But you look at everything that happened this year in the playoffs with injuries and going into this series, you, you, you thought that this next team would definitely make a, a deep run in the playoffs. But it just goes to show you how you can have all the talent in the world. You can – have all the pieces there they can mesh well but at the end of the day you need that health to be on your side and granted some teams are built to withstand injuries more than others right. however when you have a, a guy like James Harden who's one of the most durable stars in the league or has been for the, the last decade you know fall into injuries and you got Kyrie who's had issues with the knees you know the last several years and then Durant with his lower leg extremity issues it, 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 I could see how that causes problems and injuries definitely impacted this series as great as it was. It's unfortunate that somebody had to go home, but I, I'm pretty sure that those guys will, uh, after, you know, a couple of weeks of sitting home and, and some sorrow and doing some soul searching, I'm pretty sure those guys would be motivated to get back in the gym and get back to that grind. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're the favorite to win it all going into the season next year. And a lot of players especially these veteran players are going to want to go 
join forces with them. And it's a really special situation. They have, um, we'll have to save the long form conversation on this for when we start to get into some off season shows, but it'll be interesting. You know, Mike D'Antoni might be coaching somewhere else more than likely. Uh, and then it, it's Steve Nash. Not that he's not doing it alone. All right. Well, he's not doing it alone, but you know, I feel like D'Antoni inevitably had to be an important mentor for him. And you could see, the uh, fingerprints of D'Antoni in some of the playoff strategy as well. So was there, that was very fun to witness. Uh, but they're going to be just fine. They're going to be just fine. Let's shift a little bit to the Bucks and the Sixers. And I want to do things a little bit differently with how we analyze this one because, as I learned from the last episode, like we, <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. You know, like I've never claimed to know the future. But I was confident that, you know, the Sixers were going to be able to take care of business when they made their adjustments and they really had momentum in that series against Atlanta. But here comes the Hawks, and this is a team I was high on going into the season. They really figured it out after some early struggles. And Nate McMillan uh, making a late push for Coach of the Year with the, the way he kind of turned that team around. But what I'm getting to is that that series could go either way. So let me ask you this, Gabe. If the Hawks win, how do they do it tonight? If the Sixers win, how did they pull it off? Well, to me, it, it, in order for the Sixers to win, you know, you got to have your two stars playing at a high level. Right. And that's Joel Embiid and that's Ben Simmons. Those guys not only have to set the tone defensively, but they have to seek, particularly Ben, to push the pace and get out, you know, set up guys for – transition threes and fast break buckets. Typically, when Philadelphia's defense is playing at a high level, it's leading to great offensive opportunities for, for those guys over there. And, and Joel, you know, being that bully and beast that he is on the block and having to set that tone against Clint early and seeking to get him in foul trouble, I feel like that's the recipe for success if you're the Sixers. You know, we know that role players typically shoot the ball well at home. If guys like Seth can, you know, carry that momentum that he had in game six mm -hmm. out to Philly for a pivotal game seven. That could be big. Cork Moss on the offensive glass, stepping up, you know, getting layups inside. That could be big. I think that helped them stay in the ball game the other night when they were down and that helped spark that, that third quarter rally that they went on where they just really got hot and they couldn't miss from the field, particularly from deep. If you're the Hawks, man, it's just about, you know, having – a, a Trey Young that's despite battling a, a, a sore shoulder, setting the tone and getting guys involved and, and making sure that he gets his. But you also, you know, you hope that a guy like Bogdan Bogdanovich, you know, can be ready because with that sore knee and him being a game time decision, that would be a very big loss for Atlanta, you know, Massive. to not have him in the lineup because that's another shot creator. That's another guy that can also get his own. And one thing about the Hawks offense that's been so special and fun to watch, unlike all these other teams, is that they have at least about three or four guys that can create buckets for themselves, yeah. you know. And that's why, to me, they have arguably the best offense still left in these playoffs thus far as of today, because – and during this time of year, that's very important to have. Right. But Trey's got to have it, you know, going. Hopefully, you know, Bogey can play and get him a, 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 a added boost and lift, as well as Lou Williams off the bench. 
who's been big, you know, and wins this series. He 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 stepped up in game five for him, played well. Gallinari, those are the guys that have to be on point in order for Atlanta to still a game on the road, which I do believe they have a chance to do if all those pieces play well. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially that's kind of why I was high on the Hawks going into the season because they do have so many guys that are going to stretch out the defense and uh, Trey Young, obviously the captain of that ship is really seemed to enjoy this role as the villain. You know, he, he kind of likes the, uh, the hate <laughs> and I think he'll get plenty of that tonight in Philly, but it's very, ironic that this Hawks team is kind of the antithesis of this Philadelphia team, this Philadelphia team, not necessarily a great shooting team. Uh, Seth Curry has really stepped up in a lot of big ways. They needed him to be their best player in a weird way uh, on offense and he showed up in a big way the last game, 6-9 from the three-point line. And they need to match that firepower because the Hawks are going to keep spraying you with threes. And uh, so it's made him kind of a huge X factor. And then I don't know what to say about Ben Simmons because it's really tough when you got to take your best player out in these late game situations, because you're afraid of having him at the free throw line. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and it could come down to that as well. And it's also going to come down to who could get the most stops late. You know, you look at a team like Atlanta, if that three ball isn't falling, then you better make sure that your defensive game is on point. And, you know, and it starts with the anchor inside, Clint Capella and those guys, because that's one thing I have noticed with the Hawks. When they're hitting shots, they could beat anybody. It's when yeah. they're not hitting shots where, you know, the game could get a little rough. And one thing I, I, I say about them, this is a tremendous opportunity for Atlanta and that young core that they have over there. You know, it's not every day that you get a chance to play in a game seven. I think no matter how this game ends, you know, if you're the Hawks, you, you got to uh, you got to really be grateful and thankful for the opportunity that's in front of you because, we know that this team definitely isn't going anywhere. Like you talked about the Nets, how they're not going anywhere. We know that Atlanta's not either with this young core. And I, I'm I'm very excited to watch this game that's going down tonight because this this is a big opportunity for Trey Young, man. Like it's your first playoffs in your career, and you got a chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals with a shot to win it all if you pull it off. Yeah. Uh, definitely fun to see that guy in the playoffs too. And I'm glad Atlanta turned it around because just from a pure consumer standpoint, they are just so fun to watch. Uh, I think I'm pulling for the Hawks tonight just because of that factor. I think they're just super fun. Uh, but then again, so is Joel Embiid, but I don't know. I feel like that's a, a coin flip game. And like I said, I'm afraid to make predictions. At this point, because uh, last time I recorded on the show, like I said, it seemed like, you know, the Sixers were in control. They were up uh, two one. They made some intelligent defensive adjustments and then the Hawks come roaring back. They're just not going to die. And uh, 
So it's interesting. It's almost like they're the Phoenix, which leads us into the Western Conference. Phoenix, right? Uh, and ties me right back into not wanting to make predictions because I said the Utah Jazz. I mean, me and Kurt are on here, like a lot of other uh, pundits, you know, saying that the Utah Jazz pretty much it's their series for the taking when Kawhi Leonard goes down. But here comes Terrence Mann looking like George Gervin, just a walking bucket. And it wasn't just that the Utah Jazz, or, or I'm sorry, the uh, Los Angeles Clippers like won that series. They took that series in a time when no one seemed to really count them in anymore because the Jazz were a really good team. And Donovan Mitchell wasn't healthy, but he was, he was still playing. But the Los Angeles Clippers just, I don't know, man. I feel like this was a really signature moment for Ty Lue because his teams, they just have no back down. Like you go back to the LeBron James led Cavaliers. They're down three, one. And it's just this refusing to lose that confidence. And this is two come from behind series in a row against really good teams. Dallas Mavericks, they come back and take the series. Utah, uh, they go down 2-0. And it was very confusing for me because like, I felt like a lot of the things that made Utah so special, the three-point shooting, the ability to guard the three-point shot. And I hate to call out someone individually, but Rudy Gobert, it seemed like it kind of went away. I really enjoy Utah's style of ball. I like uh, how well they can share. And uh, I'm a big fan of just watching good defense. And I was really disappointed. Terrence Mann had a lot of easy looks. And there were a few moments, and I don't know if you noticed this too, but I was like, Rudy, just got a hand up, buddy. Like, there's a few by the rim. He could have at least, like, what, what do you have to lose? Get the guy to the foul line at worst, you know? But some of those shots, you can beat that. Like, you're the defensive player of the year. And I saw a statistic that he was the closest man on a lot of those looks. Well, one thing about the playoffs, Adam, you know, when you doubling a guy like Paul George nonstop, it's always going to be an open man out there. And you got to pick and choose on any given night who you're going to dare to beat you. Yeah. The Jazz picked Terrence Mann. And in game six, he only missed six shots. And he scored 39 points. That, you know, that to me, that's the story of, of the, the series right there in a nutshell. The yeah. guy that they dared to beat him, he did his job. And credit to Paul George. Credit to the veterans on the Los Angeles Clippers, you know, unit, in addition to Tyron Lue and his coach and staff for ensuring that a guy like T-Man, who in the middle of the year was fighting for, for minutes in the second unit with Lou Will, you know, they, they told him, hey, follow the game plan. Shoot your shots. If you miss it, that's okay. We're going to back you up. And we got your back. So at, at the end of the day, I mean, to me, that he was really the biggest X factor in this series, and he proved that he was indeed ready for the yep. minutes in which he received. And, you know, I know a lot of people were worried about that Clippers second unit, 
losing Lou Will to Atlanta when they made the move to get Rondo. And I kind of was too, because I was wondering where would they get their scoring punch from? But man, not only did, has he given them that, but to step up in the starting lineup, you know, in the absence of Kawhi and play the way that he did, you know, he deserves his flowers and his credit for that. Yeah. And one thing, like you said about Tyron Lou and his teams, you know, he, you know, they, they know how to make adjustments, man. And that's what it comes down to in playoff basketball, seven game series. You know, you got to know how to make adjustments. It doesn't matter whether you're down two games to nothing, the series is tied. That's one thing Tyron Lou knows how to do. Like, you know, he forced their hand. He played small, even when people were criticizing. And it worked out. And that's and that's really, to me, what played a role in getting Gobert off the floor through giving stretches that worked to the Clippers' favor and advantage. You know, I look at the way Reggie Jackson played. Yeah. The last, the first two rounds. Like, Reggie Jackson is one of those guys, man, man. Granted, in the in the regular season, a lot of people say, well, he's a wild card. But in the playoffs where the game is in a half-court set and you need shot creators, guys that can go out here and get their own buckets, on any given night if Reggie Jackson gets hot like he has been thus far in these playoffs consistently, you always got a shot. And I give credit to Paul George as well, not just for making sure that, you know, a guy like Terrence Mann was confident in, in – ready to knock down those shots, but to also make sure that he found the way to help the Clippers weather the storm in the wake of Kawhi's injury. You know, this is a guy yeah. that has went through a lot, you know, with mental health, in addition to having some, you know, woeful playoff performances the last several years. And now he's back on the conference final stage for the first time in seven years. And I'm pretty sure that he's going to be amped up and ready to go you know, in a big-time game one down in the Valley where, you know, Chris Paul is going to be out of action due to being in the health and safety protocol. So, I mean, I, I give a lot of credit to the Clippers. The Clippers have definitely been more mentally tough this year than recent Clipper teams that ever, I've seen. Ever, ever. I mean, and, this is a um, team that yeah. had a monkey, a gorilla on their back. And yeah. it's off and, now. And, and, they, and they've responded valiantly. And you know, to get to that conference final stage for the first time in their 51 year history, that's a very big deal. And the way that they were able to do it at home, you know, they 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 really they really shocked the hell out of me. And they show they've shown me a lot. Tyron Lou. I've always valued Tyron Lou as a head coach. I think that when he was coaching in Cleveland, a lot of people are quick to say, like any LeBron led team, well, you coach LeBron. You right. know, well, LeBron's, you know, he's had the luxury of playing for some pretty doggone good coaches. You know, like he he kind of got the Spo label when he was in Cleveland. Well, you just coach LeBron. But now I think people are finally starting to see that, hey, this guy really knows his X's and O's. He knows how to make adjustments. He's going to figure out a way to, to, to come up with counter schemes to attack the matchups in which you show him um, and how you want to play. I, I give none but credit to the Clippers. Granted, the Utah Jazz, you know, they 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 had a valiant effort. You know, a guy like Donovan Mitchell, I'm pretty sure that this is going to be a rough uh, summer for him, you know, thinking about what could have been, but, but he gutted it out nonetheless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and he gutted it out, you know, and I give him his credit for that. Jordan Clarkson had a big game six as well. But, you know, it's, it's a different beast, man, between the regular season and the playoffs. And 
when you got guys like Mike Conley that's out, who was another ball handler and a shot creator for Utah uh, that really took a lot of pressure off of Donovan throughout the year when you have him out of action because, you know, he only played in game six in the second round. So it's like when you have him out of action, that that's a big blow. And Utah's right. definitely got to find a way to get more athletic uh, this offseason. And they probably gonna have to find another point guard if Mike Conley's services prove to be too expensive for a roster where, you know, you're about to have Donovan Mitchell begin the first year of his, you know, I believe five-year max deal and Rudy Gobert is about to be getting paid pretty handsomely as well. Yeah, Rudy Gobert is on the books for $47 million next year. Or this is the this is the I'm sorry, this is the 25, 2025, 26 salary because exactly uh, they're on the books for a while, but you know, mm-hmm. Gobert's gonna be making 47 million. Uh, Mitchell's gonna be making 37 million. Um Gobert, man, he uh I found that stat. So he was the closest primary defender on 19 Clippers shot attempts in the second half, game six. Clippers made 15 of those shots, 79%. And like I said, I think some of those he could have just had a hand up. Like, no blocks, two games in a row. That's disappointing because that's an element of what made them special. Uh, But, yeah, one thing I want to add about T. Lou is it seems like he just has a knack for lighting that fire in the competitors he coaches and helping them to find belief in their self. Obviously, these guys wouldn't even be in the NBA if they didn't have some serious confidence. But, you know, Terrence Mann, that's a guy who barely got an invite to the combine and was the best player in game six and led that comeback when the Jazz are down, you know, 22 points in the third quarter. Or I'm sorry, the the Clippers down 22 points in the third quarter. I think it got as large as a 25-point deficit. And they come roaring back. On the shoulders of, you know, a Rocky Balboa, somebody who's like <laughs> not supposed to be there, but looking like the best in the world. And who knows? Maybe this guy's uh, turning LA into a big three. Maybe this is just the beginning for Terrence Mann. And we'll see. We'll see against Phoenix. And uh, I know we, we both got some things to do today. Uh, my dad's coming down. Shout out to my dad. Uh, definitely a big, big fan of the show and uh, one of my big uh, supporters. And so I just want to, uh, you know, give him uh, a quick shout out uh, before we get into this series. But let's get into this series. Uh, it is the Los Angeles Clippers against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, game one, just in a few hours here at uh, 2.30 Central Time. Shoot, man. No Kawhi Leonard, all quiet on the Eastern front there, and no Chris Paul. Who are you taking? Man, this this is a this is tough. It's you so know, tough. This, this, it, it, this is a series that, in my opinion, I I could definitely see it going six or seven for sure. You, you know, whether it's no Kawhi for the whole series or no Chris. And we really don't even know how long Chris is going to be out for. You know, it, 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 they say it's indefinite, so it could be any day that he comes back or not. But right now, right now, um, 
I, I I'm a I'm a go. I'm. It's tough to place your faith in either side, really, because you could you could point out some some strengths and weaknesses. But right now, I'm a go. Is it today? I'm a go with the Clippers. I'm gonna go with the Clippers in seven. Okay. I know I've been saying Clippers in seven a lot, but that that I think that's hey, a team right. man <laughs> that's built to play a long series. They built they built to play a long series, man. Um, and I I do believe that as of today, you know, in this game one, I believe that they can steal this game one. You know, you got to think Phoenix hasn't played in a week, and this is their first game in, in, in seven days, and you got L.A. coming in riding hot with some momentum, you know, they get out to a solid start in the first quarter and Paul George helps them set that tone and Reggie Jackson comes with it. I mean, it, it could be a tough day for Phoenix, man. It could be a very tough day. Yeah. You can put Paul George on Devin Booker, right? You have to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you, but you also got to give him multiple looks, you know, yeah. Morris as well. You got to give him, you got to get him, give him multiple looks because a guy like Devin Booker, you don't want him seeing in the same coverages and packages time and time again. You know, one thing he'll figure it out about yeah. the NBA, these guys are too talented. Yeah, they, they're too talented. They'll figure it out very quickly if you go keep putting the same guy on them. So I think it's always going to be a collective effort. But yeah, Paul, I, I could definitely see Paul on there. And one thing about Paul, you know, he's not going to shy away from defending the opposition's best player. That's one thing I will give Paul George uh, as a defender in this league. Uh, he will go after. Yeah, he, he definitely will. Uh, I, I'm kind of leaning Suns in seven uh, just because I think – I'm hoping CP3 gets back, and I think he's due, man. It's it's kind of weird that we haven't seen CP3 in a finals, and so I'm hoping that we finally get that this year. But I think this one – I think it's going to be a series for the ages. I, I really – I don't know. I just don't know. It's uh, too close to call. Uh, I did see there's some interesting lines going in on this game. So let's, let's wrap it up there. Um, the two that got my attention off uh, individual scoring uh, Terrence Mann, he's the 13 and a half over under right now. I feel like <laughs> the way he looked, man, I'm taking the over on Terrence Mann. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't knock you, but just getting back at Chris Paul for a minute, man, think about this. It's crazy about Chris Paul's journey. You got to play and beat the former team that you want to star for, not only to get to the finals. Yeah. But, but, but if, if the, if the, if the Sixers find a way to get over the hump and they get to the finals, you got to beat your old GM from Houston and Daryl Morey to get. Wow. Or if the Bucks, or if the Bucks get, if the Bucks get there, you got to beat your old running mate who you ran with down there and PJ Tucker. Or if right. the Hawks get there, you got to go up against Clint Capella. It's just it's, it's so much, man. Like it, yeah. it's so many crazy factors with Chris Paul, man, in his career and what he's had to overcome just to get to these uh, positions. But let alone if just to get to the finals this year, it doesn't even matter. Like he got to go through all these old routes and old stops and with old faces just to get to that gold ball, oh, man. That we know that he's so desperately coveting. Off the top of your head, do you know how old John Stockton was when he made it to her, his first NBA Finals? Because he that was later in his career as well. I want to say, I want to say John Stockton had to be at least thirty three or thirty four. 
I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, 34. Uh-huh. And how how old's Chris Paul right now? 34, 35? Either 35 or 36. I know Stockton's age pretty well because Stockton is not the age my parents, but the same age as my mother. So okay. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's 35 right now. Or thir- no, he's 36. He turned 36 recently. But it's just interesting. The reason I bring up Stockton is because I think those guys are incredibly similar players. Um, you could make it, I mean, both unbelievable passers, probably the best passer in the league most of their career, and uh, two of the all-time pickpockets, two of the all-time floor generals. But someone who, if Chris Paul does get it or get there to the promised land of the NBA championship, I mean, it took Stockton years and years and years to get there too. And so uh, one more similarity with them, but we'll see, man. We'll see. Uh, I would love to see it happen, uh, but it's really hard to bet against the Clippers with the toughness they've shown. So I'm going to, I'm going to try my best not to make any like legit predictions. I'm going to watch <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of with you there myself. I mean, granted, I know we is it, experts and pundits on the game. That's that's what everybody wants to hear, and I, I seek to give them that. But man, if if you're not seeking to just really appreciate what you're watching in these playoffs, despite the injuries to some of the game's top stars, then uh, you don't really love this game because it, it's it's a lot of interesting storylines to follow right now, and it's a lot of interesting basketball and great high level basketball being played, especially by some of these young guys that's in the league. Like I said, what, what Trey Young is doing right now is incredible. And that's a guy that the NBA, we, we're going to have to figure out a way to showcase him a lot more in these years to come, man, because what he's done through his first three years in the league is not being talked about enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, man. And um, he's putting the world on notice. So that'll change. Uh, I think that it's a coming out party for him. Maybe a coming out party for Terrence Mann. <laughs> uh, let's let's go rapid fire to wrap this up on some of these over unders. Uh, ton ton of fun ones. So uh, Terrence Terrence Mann over under thirteen and a half. Ooh, I'm gonna go slightly over. I give about I'm like going over two. Um, Devin Booker. Uh, he is uh, 28 and a half. Ooh, I, right now with Chris Paul out, I'm definitely taking over on that. Yeah, man. I, I think that he probably goes closer to 35. Yeah, that that's that's more like it. Yeah. Um, just the way he's been. He, he kind of has to. He kind of yeah. has to, honestly. That's what the team means. It's actually 29 and a half, but I, I stand by what I said. <laughs> um, all right. We got uh, Seth Curry, 16 and a half. Mm. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm go slightly over. I'll give him 18. Yeah, I think, um, I think he gets in the 20s. I think he's turned into such a crucial component. Uh, to their offense, and he's been in the 20s the last two games. So I think he does it again. Yeah. Um, Trey Young, 30 and a half. Oh, 
I honestly I'm, think he gets. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think he definitely gets thirty tonight for doggone sure. So I would, I would, I would take slightly over, especially if Bogey's out because he's gonna have to do it. Yeah, just on sure volume, he'll get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, final one: Joel Embiid, thirty-one and a half. Oh, I'm gonna go slightly under. I think he, I think he gets about like 29, 28 tonight. Yeah, that one makes me nervous. Yeah. All right, buddy. Uh, any thoughts before we uh, wrap this one up? No, man. Just happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, man. That's listening in, and um, you know, just seek to enjoy what you're watching, man, in the NBA right now. Because, like I said earlier, to, you know, kick off the show, it's wide open. It sure is, buddy. Uh, I look forward to touching base with you soon on the rest of these uh, games. And we'll, as you mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to know who the final four are real soon. So everybody, uh, have a wonderful Father's Day, and uh, thank you for listening to the Hoops for Domus podcast. Please give us a friendly rating if you'd be so kind. If you enjoy the show, if you think we're uh, worthy uh, you know, leave us some, some kind words and uh, put put five stars on there. It does help people find us. And, uh, you know, we thank you for uh, this first year. We, we've gone a little over a year now being a, a show. We, we've churned out uh, 70 episodes in season two. So thank you, uh, Gabriel and uh, Hami and Kurt, Josh, uh, Leo, Stefano, everyone who's helped make that possible. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Happy hooping.